Good afternoon. Welcome to Tom's World Language Cafe, coming to you live from Fishers, Indiana. It is Wednesday, February 24th, on a beautiful day here in Indianapolis in Fishers area. The temperature is 54 degrees, sunny weather. Everybody's in a good mood, right? Because we now have three vaccines going for the COVID deal, right? We had Johnson & Johnson came out today, so we should be in a great mood and things are getting better. So let's be positive out there. Today we have uh, a great, great guest for you. I call her a master French teacher, a master writer, and uh, she kind of does everything and beyond. And her name is Deb Blas. Deb, how are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm great too. And we're honored to have you in the show, first off. And uh, I know you from way back, and well, not too far back, two or three years, right? I'm only kidding. It's been no. several years. And uh, Deb and I kind of go way back, and Deb has always been an active member of the Indiana Foreign Language Teachers Association for a long time. And she's one of our uh, uh, great, great members of the IFLTA. And uh, she has done incredible things for the organization and also for the classroom. And she's a great French teacher at Angola High School in Angola, Indiana, up north. Not too far from Chicago, right, Deb? Is it? Uh, closer, about halfway between Chicago and Detroit. Okay, it's yeah. it's near uh, Detroit and Chicago. And uh, she also is a, a well-known uh, writer of materials for the classroom and books. And uh, we'll talk about that as we go on. And she, uh, well-known all over the world. So we're very honored to have her on our show. Um, so Deb, tell us a little bit, tell the listeners a little bit about um, uh, where you're from and where you studied and what got you interested in teaching French. Okay, um, well, I'm originally from a Chicago suburb and um, I started taking foreign language in third grade and it was part of the gifted and talented program. I started with Spanish and I loved it, just loved it. The lady came in once a week and, and we made little um, pigs out of pottery and we danced little dances and stuff. And I just, got, I don't know, I just, I've always loved language. And uh, that continued through my senior year. Um, in my junior year, I added French because I had been looking at jobs that I was thinking about. I was thinking about college and what I wanted to do with my life. And um, well, actually, before that, though, in seventh grade for gifted and talented, they added Latin. And I took I took five years of Latin. And then um, when I was junior, they had us research jobs and I decided I love to travel and I wanted to work for the Foreign Service, at, like an embassy and that kind of thing. And so I wrote them and I said, what do I need to know to work for you? And they said, well, we'd like business majors who are fluent in French, because at that time we were in Vietnam and Vietnam, Vietnam was uh, French. They did business and all the paperwork and stuff. So they said they wanted French and I'm like, okay, I better start taking French. So I started taking French. And I went off to college. I went to Illinois State University, basically, because that's where my parents went. <laughs> and uh, I got a scholarship. And so I started taking French there. And it quickly became apparent to me that I wasn't going to get fluent 
taking a class on Tuesdays and Thursdays, you know, occasionally. And so I did the junior year abroad program and I found a job while I was there and I stayed an extra year and finished my degree there. And then I came back and all my friends had graduated and things like that. But um, so I took French and then I came back and business was not my thing. And I was going for a business degree and I changed it to just at the last minute, I looked at what I had hours in or could do. And my grandma always spoke German in the home and she barely knew English. And so I said, let's add German. I can already speak German. I didn't know what I was speaking was low German, not high German. Bad surprise. So I got, I got a double major in French and German and then graduated. Um, and then I decided to go straight through and get my master's because I was worried if I got away from the university that I wouldn't go back. You know, I'd be all involved with jobs and, and traveling, especially if I was going to work for the Foreign Service. I, I didn't think I could finish my master's. So I got a job as a um, teaching assistant and also running the radio station part time for the University of Kentucky. And so um, I had gone to college in Illinois and then in France at the University of Grenoble in the Alps, skiing, all right. <laughs> and um, you had no social life if you didn't ski. And then um, when I came back from there, I went to the University of Kentucky because they have, or had, I think they still do, one of the best foreign language programs there are. I mean, I had professors that would fly to France to be on TV for, for France, and they have the modern language journal that they publish, and they would have a, a yearly um, group. They would have a huge, huge workshops and like a week of workshops, and people would come from all over the country and outside the country to be there. And I said, this has got to be a great place to go and get my master's. So I got my master's. And then I got married and um, moved to Indiana. And my husband is a psychology professor at Trine University here in Angola. And um, I started my family and then um, went back to teaching. So. Okay, so. Um, years now, so. Okay, here. so do you have kids then? Yeah, I have a son and a daughter, and I have three grandsons. My oldest grandson's going to graduate high school this year. Oh, for goodness sake! You yeah. can—that's kind of how we are. We have a, my, we have a my son and daughter and uh, three grandkids. Same thing. Ah, that's yeah. interesting. And uh, but our grandkids are small. Yeah, one of them is six. One of them's eight, and one of them's eleven. <laughs> so. Yeah, my youngest is eleven. Um. I'm really proud of my son. He works, uh, he's a plant manager for Microbrush and they make the swabs for COVID tests. Mm -hmm. They're one of only two in the whole country that make them. He retooled, they were dental tools and he, he uh, let us spearhead a, a thing to retool so they could make the nasal swabs for that. Yeah, there's a lot going into all this, right? The COVID, I mean, all the, all the people helping and creating things, it's astounding, it really yep. is. Um, you were talking about the University of Kentucky, one of my dear friends, his name was Jeff Gilbreth. He graduated, he got his master's degree in Spanish literature there. 
and he ended up, he taught college for quite a while, then he went into uh, textbook uh, editing, and he worked for, uh, I think he was with Holt Reinhardt for quite a while, and he edited textbooks uh, for college. And, uh, but he did a, it was a highly, spoke highly of the program at UK there. And uh, my father is uh, from Georgetown, Kentucky, oh, yeah. and he went to Georgetown College. Yeah. Um, now, back to this, the teaching, astounding preparation and, and not surprising. And I was going to make a comment here, and you're, you're probably going to say the same thing. When I got my graduate degree at IU in, in Spanish literature, master's in Spanish literature, and uh, I felt this very similar to what you felt about your professors at uh, Kentucky. And I think that uh, sometimes when you study with really hard, difficult professors, challenging professors, then in the end it pays off, right? And it, oh, I... it extends you as a teacher, your career, um, a lot of things that you're able to keep doing, right? And uh, I think it really helps uh, in a career of teaching that uh, the more challenged you are, the better, right? I mean, that, that really says a lot, I think. Um, they do a lot in methods classes, and I think it's absolutely true that people will rise to your expectations. Yes, exactly. And I think that has a lot to do with everything. Um, so, um, your current job now, you teach at Angola High School, correct? Yes, I teach French. Mm -hmm. And what's your favorite thing about teaching at Angola High School? Um, I really like, well, there's two things, I think. Um, they give me a lot of freedom. I can pretty much do, you know, I guess I have a good reputation or whatever, but, but there's not a lot of oversight as long as there aren't kid or parent complaints or whatever. Mm -hmm. you, you have the freedom and the encouragement to innovate and lead and learn in your classroom. And, and that just, you know, makes me, um, I'm not worried for my job. I'm not worried, you know, I, I can try new things. And um, so I really like that. And um, the other thing is uh, we have the technology support that I need, at least with right. the special situations. Now I have, I have a lot of, I have all the technology that I could want. They, they find a way to get it for me. And uh, so I that, really appreciate that. Which really helps. Absolutely. Um, so you, you, um, so you're teaching French. What level do you like teaching the best that you're teaching there? first year second third fourth wow that's a tough one because i love introducing stuff to the ones it's just and starting I, out right yeah yeah i really really like that but you can do so much more with the threes and fours because they can talk yes and so there are good there are good and bad points to any level i guess exactly exactly um now, what are some of your special memories about teaching uh, in the classroom itself? Do you have any moment that you really thought was really absolutely off the chart, fabulous, something you did that, or something you taught that maybe the kids really react to or reacted to? I have some stories I tell. I, I do uh, comprehensive input, and I have I have a story about the devil, a loaf of bread, and an alligator that is a huge hit every time, and I really look forward to doing that. <laughs> um, but um, you know, 
we go Christmas caroling. We celebrate some holidays. We, we, we missed Mardi Gras because of the snow this year, but the kids really enjoy celebrating the holidays. And that sticks with them their whole life. You know, every year when it gets to around Christmas, I have uh, 20 or 30 emails like, How, what are the words to jingle bells in French again? <laughs> I want to, I'm teaching kindergarten now and I want to do it, or I want to teach this to my kids. Yes. Or um, they talk about flipping crepes and, you know, things like that. I think the culture is what stays with the kids. So I look forward yes. to that. that. That probably sometimes is the most neglected thing in the language classroom, the teaching of culture. I mean, it gets taught sometimes, but not as much as it should be, I think. I think it's, you know, there's a, such a need for the culture. And, the, and, and also the big C culture and the little C. You know, I mean, it's, uh, you know, the famous people, for example, in, in the countries and what they did to help, you know, development, you know, for things for their country. And um, the writers and the painters and and then all the the customs and situational things and um, culture is it's it's really really highly important and uh, I think the readers get into that some but but again you have to be careful because you 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 can get quite a bit but sometimes it's very limited right and it's right. not uh, you know not expansive culture so. You know, but the readers help a lot, you know, with that type of thing. Um, the, um, um, back to the um, special memories. What about traveling? Did you, do you take kids yeah. on, to France a lot or have you, I bet you have. That was, you know, the first thing that popped into my head when you asked that question was, I think my best moments almost happen when we go overseas. <laughs> yes. And tell me, we, tell me a quick story, a funny thing we, that happened. Well, like we we walked into Notre Dame Cathedral, and I heard them describing the cathedral in French to each other. Uh huh. Using terms that we learned in the classroom. Yes, and it makes you feel like wow, they did it right, and you did yeah. it. Yeah, that's awesome. That's or that they'll come bouncing back from some free time and they're like, I bought a crepe and he understood me. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Beautiful. That's beautiful. Tell me, did you ever see any famous people when you were traveling? I'm sure you did. I mean, somebody oh. just happened to pop up or did you go to a show with some famous person that you didn't think you were going to ever see when you uh -huh. were traveling? Who was that? Who was yeah. that? Absolutely. Um, I'm trying to remember her name, but we we were just walking down the Champs Elysees in Paris, and there's a movie star there, and I'm like, oh my God, you know, it's Margot. I can't remember her last name, but um, and she was right there, and and of course the kids, my kids didn't know her because you know they don't know the old movies and stuff, but I was quite awestruck. Uh, it's once, once we were in um, London and we went to the theater as part of the trip and um, Davy Jones from the Monkees was the main character mm -hmm. in the play that we went to. And I was all excited about that. And, uh, uh, it's you know. fun, right? Um, those are the fun things you always remember. And uh, um, yeah. one time we were in, uh, well, this happened four or five years ago with my the summer program for the teachers. and. Uh, that that I do in Madrid in uh, three years ago, I guess, 
and Juanes was in town. The famous singer Juanes was at the Teatro uh, yeah. uh, uh, de la Cultura in Madrid. And uh, no, the Teatro de Madrid, I think it is. Anyway, we got to see him and it was just it was exciting. And then another yeah. year, I had a student group in Mexico City and we went to see Jose Feliciano sing. This was oh. back in the 80s, right? I mean, yeah. he was really young in the day. And uh, he knew, found out we were at, at watching, there were about 30 students and my wife and I had both, she taught Spanish and we had a, a big group of students and he asked us backstage and he gave them all the autographed picture and uh, oh. unbelievable. And it, yeah. it plays the guitar so well, you know, just yeah. phenomenal guy. And he introduced us to his wife, she was backstage. Uh, but you know, crazy fun things happen. Another time at Central States, we had the conference. Do you remember the conference we had? It was a cruise, the Caribbean cruise. Yeah. So I did a session on uh, culture. It was um, culture treasure hunt. And we stopped at this French island. I can't remember which one it was. And we're looking for realia. And so we got back on the ship and whoever got the most got a prize. So. We're looking for realia and then we'd get back and we tried to figure out activities we could do to teach the realia. So uh, lo and behold, I'm standing there with a German professor from uh, a university in Lexington. What's that called? Small college in Lexington. It's um, uh, Transylvania. Yes, Transylvania. And uh, the German professor and uh, was there with me and we were standing there and here comes this huge limousine and these all of these gendarmes and police and all this. And it was the president of France. Who would have ever thought? And he was visiting the island just to say hello, blah, blah, blah. And he got out of the, the car and he waved at everybody. And he was about two feet from me, two or three feet. He was a big guy. It was the big guy, the real tall guy. Who was that? It was back. Uh... Probably Giscard d'Estaing, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if that was him. But anyway, it was he was real tall and, and this really it was an incredible experience. You know, it was like you're like you were in France. I was in this little island for the whole I thought, what what kind of just craziness is this, you know? Um, so what about some of your teaching awards? You got a, you've got a lot of teaching awards and uh, over the years and uh, certainly well deserved and uh, just beautiful st things that you did for the kids, the students, uh, the community, uh, for uh, your writing for to share with the teachers and the kids. And um, what what uh, are some of your awards you got over the years? I know you got a bunch. Well, kind of going back to an earlier topic, one of the things about my school is that the administrators encourage you. And so I wrote my first book because um, my principal thought I would be, a, you know, he met somebody at a conference that was looking for somebody to write a book mm -hmm. on the block schedule. And he said, I've got somebody for you. And he encouraged me and got me to write the book. And that's what started everything, I think. Hmm. I'd written a couple of articles for like the journal or the bulletin. But, uh -huh. um, but so I wrote my book. And so I won the um the Indiana Teachers of French Secondary Teacher of the Year, the <laughs> next year. And, you know, you always remember your first. That was my first really big award. It was a state level award. And I was. I, I, I remember that. I remember when you got that. I certainly do. It was well deserved, by the way. Yes. 
Yeah. Okay. And then um, follow up on that one, then that and my book together got me um, the USA Today um, newspaper was doing a All-America teacher team and they had nominees and stuff and I got nominated for that and I um, won, I guess, honorable mention. I wasn't one of first, second or third, but I got honorable mention. I was the only teacher in Indiana and people called me from Indianapolis to talk to me on the radio and I got in the newspaper and just all kinds of stuff. And that was pretty exciting because that was a national. That's amazing. Yeah, amazing. that was really cool. Um, then a lady in Indiana, a very wealthy lady, decided to put her money to help education. And her name's Crystal DeHaan, and she founded something called Project E. Um, and she had the Project E for Education Award. And so the very first year, um, I won with 10, 10, 10 people. She picked 10 teachers. Mm -hmm. And we met John Wooden, the coach. Oh, for goodness sake. Yeah, and John himself gave me the award oh, at center uh, court at halftime of a Pacers oh, game. Oh, for goodness sake. Isn't that something? That was really cool. We got to sit in the VIP booth. And that is that. awesome. But totally yeah. well-deserved. Totally well-deserved. And you got, a, you, got a big, you got a big award at the National... What was that was recent, fairly recent, right? We didn't you get the uh, it was from the National Association of French, right? Yes, just this what was, year. What was that award? Uh, it's called the Dorothy S. Ludwig Excellence in Education. That award. is a huge award, right? Huge, yeah. yes. And it was for 2020. And so until they choose somebody new, I'm at this year for secondary level. Anyway. Yes, that's and wonderful. Yeah. And then you gave me a wonderful award too on for publication this year, and uh, and I was very very honored because I you know I I think the world of you and and that you would think of me was very well. You, the same for goes for me. I think the world of you and and know I'm very well aware of all the things you've done over the years. Amazing, and then uh, 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 Deb got the. Uh, Distinguished Writing Award uh, given by the um, Indiana Language Association, Foreign Language Association, for her distinguished writing, which has been really, really phenomenal over the years. Um, I'm going to ask you about writing really quickly. Okay. Of all that you've written, what was your favorite book? Um, well, I think I like my book on active learning. Mm. Um, because you have to keep the kids involved and, and moving and, and participating. You know, you don't want to be the sage on the stage kind of thing. I know there's yeah. a temptation to do that, but I actually use it. I, I kind of tossed everything that they wouldn't let me put in my book on block scheduling because it wasn't specifically block scheduling. And I organized it and I coordinated it with all the standards, the um, Common Core and, and you know, um, depth of knowledge and all that kind of stuff. And it's just like every time I'm, I'm thinking, well, I need an activity to do something. I actually use the book myself. And they, they um, I don't know, 80 or 90 universities use it as for the instance instruction for foreign language teacher instruction 
And um, I just think it's helped a lot of teachers. The, more than the, the activities, uh, that, that's a wonderful thing. And the, the activities and uh, keeping the kids moving and um, it, that's the key to everything, right? I mean, it really is when you think about it. The activities the kids get that the teachers select and and uh, as you said, uh, to let the students participate, right? And let the kids do the work and let them enjoy it and not have the teacher directing all the time, right? Or, right. You know, I mean, directing is okay, but as you said, not being the sage on the stage, you know, too much and letting the kids participate and have fun with language. And uh, which is, like you said, the, the, the most important thing of all is that. Um, so which book was the most difficult book that you did to write? Well, there was one book that they, they asked me if I'd write it. And I said, no, I don't think I'm the right person. And I gave them somebody else's name. So they contacted that person and they accepted to do it. And then about a month later, they said, no, I don't have time. And so they asked me for another name and I gave them four or five names. And finally they came back and said, these aren't working. Can you do it? And by then I had some time to think about it. Uh -huh. And it was um, bringing the standards to life. And it was uh, the ACTFL had new standards and everybody was like, okay, I know how to do the reading and writing stuff, but how do you do the other ones? Yes. Well, and you know, the, the beauty about the standards are though, even the five C's, the five C's, uh, are still relevant today. I mean, it's very relevant stuff. You know, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, uh, the things to be proficient and all the, those, you have to come, you have to do a little bit of everything, right? You have, you have to do, teach the culture. You gotta, you have to teach uh, language, uh, you know, compare, compare and contrast. You know, you, you have to do all those things and uh, you have to do community building. And uh, uh, it's just, um, kind of amazing, you know, the, and then you have to do the um, sharing, you know, where you, you get together with the, the other disciplines and do some cross teaching and uh, disciplinary things. So you have to, some of the things, the beauty I always thought of the five C's was it's still worth, worthwhile, right? It's still worthwhile today. If you just, you know, as a guide and things, it's very worthwhile. Um, so, um, now it's hard to write because it was so new so i was still kind of struggling with it too and and then i'm trying to get something finished well but but the, the thing i think you have to be careful of though is and some of this the standards and things that act for they're wonderful but you yeah one has to be careful not to get too you, you can get over detail with it and and i've seen teachers do this and they give up you know like they'll say you know, for the oral proficiency and, you know, you have one through five, whatever, and, you know, where are you at? Are you a beginner? Are you advanced beginner? And blah, blah, blah. And sometimes we can overplay the cards, right? Too much. And, and teachers get frustrated yes. and then they give up. They give up. And instead yes. of having oral test every lesson, let's say every chapter, throwing a little oral test, they give up because they think they can't do it, you know, that it's too much. And well, then, yeah. That's one of the things I tried to say is you don't have to do all the standards every unit. Yes, exactly. And then maybe once in a while, right, to, to yeah. do it. And uh, 
but it, it is interesting with that part of it. Um, so today, I know you've been very active in the world language organizations. And uh, so you're in the IFLTA, you're in the AATF. I'm, I'm vice president of the Indiana AATF right now. So. Well, good for you. Congratulations. Yeah, yes, that's, that's awesome. Good for you. And then, um, uh, so why do you think it's important that teachers should be in professional organizations? Why, why, why should they do that? Well, first of all, I'm a French teacher and a lot of places are eliminating, you know, you teach Spanish and Spanish will always be here. But the other languages are starting to be looked at as, oh, we don't really need that, you know, if money becomes a crunch and things like that. And so you have to advocate and it's easier if you have contacts and you can make contacts with other people. And I'm a singleton teacher and I think a lot of foreign language teachers are. And you're all by yourself in your school and nobody really understands your subject matter except you and you don't have anybody to bounce ideas off of and stuff. And I think at conferences and things, I get more from just side conversations or going out to dinner with strangers or, or whatever and just sharing and making some contacts and collegiality and stuff. And then I go to the conference to the to the speakers and oh, I'm just amazed and I, I learn new skills and get ideas and knowledge. And if I didn't do that, I wouldn't have that. I'd just be off in my own little bubble here trying yes. to do the best. It's so important, right? To, to, to get out there and, and go to the sessions and listen to the people and and the, find out what the new materials are and and the profession and what's going on. Very, very important. And uh, uh, I think today we, we have fairly good participation, but I still don't think there's enough people that do it, right? I mean, I don't know what the percent is of people who are in the organizations, but it could be better, you know? I mean, I wish we had, had more uh, motivation. Sometimes the schools help, you know, where you're teaching. You know, they'll help out and they'll help your expenses, whatever, right? For, for mine, going. mine would reimburse me yes. if I... And, and, there's, and there's a lot of schools do that, but there's some that don't. You know, that's the unfortunate part. Um, what about teacher travel? Do you think teachers need to travel a lot more? Or should they keep traveling as they keep teaching? And why is that important? Well, for me, it's a good recruitment because the kids, you know, they, they, I've got to stay with this because I'm going to go over there and, and I have to know how to talk. Yes. That kind of thing. But also it keeps you current on slang and you can pick up realia, like mm -hmm. you said. Um, it's so nice. And then you get the little stories to tell about things that happen to you, um, which I like to do. The kids like that, right? When you tell them their stories, I do. I do that even at Butler. I'll tell them stories, and they get the biggest kick out of that. They think that's astounding. You know, some of these little crazy things, and and uh, but it's things like that to get someone motivated, right? I mean, to travel and you know to do things, and and you know if it's real, right? If it's reality, and uh, that's good. Um, yes. So, what about language uh, today? The study of world languages in the United States. Is it better than it was 10 years ago? I mean, is it, 
Is it as important as it was 10 years ago as far as our society sees it? Or is it, should it be more, made more important? Well, um, that's sort of one of those yes and no things. <laughs> um, you know, the world is going global and the market is global. And, and you know, languages, you need languages. You need to know the culture. We're talking back about the culture and stuff. You know, um, there are funny stories about like in Africa, where a lot of people, there's a lot of languages that they do pictures on on the cans. And so um, Gerber Baby Food wondered why their stuff wasn't selling and people were thinking there was canned baby. Because <laughs> the baby on the label. Yes, yes. And you have to know the culture to yes. not not make mistakes, you know, or major gaffes. There's a lot of stories, yes. about things like that. And so, um, so I think that the world is going global and you really, really need to have a language. And I, I've known from my students, so they share again, you know, you're talking about special memories or something. Um, special memory for me was a student who recently told me that she got a job because of my class because uh, they had it down to two candidates. And as they were walking in, she saw a painting that we had looked at in class and named the artist. And they were so impressed with that, that gave her an edge and she got the job instead of the other person. So, and, you know, so having a language or having some fluency or something will, will maybe be the deciding factor in a job or a promotion or yeah. something. I think it was Charlemagne that said, "What well, the language, if you know two languages, you have two souls, right? He said you have, yeah, you have, have two I souls. I have a wall in my room right over here. Oh, you do? Okay, great. But he said, if you, if you know two languages, you have two souls. And then there are other people who said, if you, if you know two languages, you can be two people. You know, that it's, it's like two people. And, and But it's true, right? It, it's totally true. Um, they also say that if you only know one language, one language, you don't know your own language either. Yes, exactly, exactly. So the techniques for teaching a world language. So we've got uh, the TPRS things today, uh, uh, which, uh, uh, what do you think of that as a method? I mean... And then you've got comprehensive input, and then you have uh, practicality. What do we call that? And we call it, um, oh, what's the word we use it for practicality? Um, which really became a method, uh, you know, where you use a little bit of everything and yeah. not every, but you, you mix it up. And that was called. Um, I call it differentiation, but. Differentiation. Okay, good. That's good. We'll, we'll just say that. All yeah. right, differentiate. But, but it's choice maybe where you, you but you have a, an abundance of different things to interest the kids. Um, and uh, pragmatic, I think's the word, pragmatic, yes. Pragmatic methods where, you know, it's, it's practical things that, that cover a little bit of everything, as you said. And, uh, um, and uh, so uh, if, uh, if we have teaching proficiency through reading, through reading and and, and speaking, um, 
and comprehensible input, we pretty much cover everything. And I think if you if you extend all of that, right, if you extend it to the whole class, you know, during the whole class period, and you have a comprehensive input and you, you can blend that into other things, right? And which we used to call, what do we call it? Um, total immersion. So, but very similar type stuff, you know? So, but anyway, so if you, you go in and you, you can blend things in, it's fine. But uh, are there any other methods that you like that you think are really, really fun? Well, I've, I've kind of gone over to comprehensible input um, uh, because, first of all, I was kind of frustrated with the textbooks. They just, they kind you know, of don't get the job done, right, many times. Yeah, or just, you know, you'd have a whole chapter on camping, and I really just didn't care about camping <laughs> or some of that. Um, so I just decided to do that. To try, I had been using comprehensible input occasionally, but I said I just don't have the energy level for that. Um, and well, the, I want to I, I, I stop just for a second because we may forget to talk about it. That's an incredible point. I want to stop at that point so we can yeah. talk about it. That's the other problem with all, a lot of the things we do, though. I think, and I go back to the pragmatic way of teaching, and uh, which probably accounts for what happens if you're teaching six classes a day, right? You're teaching yeah. six classes that many teachers have six a day in high school or middle school. Some just have five. But if you're teaching or you have less if you're doing the block schedule. But if you're doing that, no matter what it is, and to do that class after class, day after day, week after week, and to go in and... and uh, uh, have the energy, the energy level to do this is astounding. I mean, it really takes people with high, high, high uh, levels of, in, of energy. And there are people out there. There's a lot of them. I blessed. I was very blessed. I had a lot of energy. I could just go and go and go, you know. But there were people in my department who couldn't do that, you know. And yeah. uh and, and which is fine, right? Because everybody has their different styles, et cetera. And uh, we all don't do things the same, thank goodness. But but I do think all, we have to be careful when we do things that it, that we pick and choose or we change, as, as we mentioned, variety, that we, we don't just do it to the point of we're exhausted, right? And then yeah. you, you don't make good decisions about what you're doing, you know, and things. So I think we have to be very careful of that. And uh, when we're doing things, um, is that make sense to what you just said? It was a great, great point. It was a great point. That's why I wanted to stop, uh, you know, because it really, I, it rings a bell with me. You know, I'm going, whoa, you know, and, uh, uh, and then the other thing is we don't want teachers to quit teaching after 10 years, right? You know, or five years. Many of them leave after five years. So, you know, I worry sometimes about, you know, if they don't have that high energy level, are they going to make it right? And so I think we got to, we have to think of ways we can bridge, you know, things a little bit. So, you know, there's a little bit here, there's a little bit there. Does that make sense? Yes. Yes. And, and that's what I do. I mean, I, I got to keep myself happy along with the kids. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And that's another great point. You just brought up another great point. And that is, what about, and it, what you said is totally important, 
you keep yourself happy and the kids happy. And that's a major thing again, too. Uh, you have to be happy with you, you ha and have fun. You have to have fun with what you're doing and the kids have to be having fun. And that sounds simplistic, but it's true, right? I mean, if you're having fun, the kids usually are having fun, right? And that's if you're both having fun, it's a great class, right? It always is a great class. Yeah. So fun, F-U-N, if you had just F-U-N, if you have fun up there all the time, it's a great class, right? And it, but some people go, oh, I don't want to have fun. Now, yeah, there's a few out there, not many in this day and age. I think people pass that and they realize you have to have fun with students and make it fun. Learning has to be fun. And uh, in your writing and, and things I did years ago, when we started writing back in the day, there, that wasn't the case, remember? I mean, it wasn't, there wasn't a lot of fun. You had the old teachers that said, oh, I don't want to have games in the class. No, no games for me, remember? I, I'm not playing games. My class is serious, dead serious. But as things evolved over the years, we started little by little, but it was to make things fun for everybody. And now I think people realize, as you said, I think many teachers realize if we don't have fun, and those are the teachers that the people have fun that are going to be teaching 25 years from now, right? They'll be yeah. still going. And they figured the formula out, you know, having fun. But the people who don't have fun, sometimes those are the people who leave after five years. So this idea of fun and making it fun and, and finding, you know, humor and, and laughter and, and jokes and all the things we talked about. Yeah, it's, it's a good formula. Yeah. So, um, so how many languages do you speak? Okay, well, there's, you know, um, well, probably two, because French and English, I mean, I'm, I'm really good at French. Um, German, I grew up since a little tiny child, <clears throat> but it's kind of rusty. I don't use it all the time. Spanish, I had nine years, often, I'm not, a hundred percent of the time, uh, but I can, I can watch TV <clears throat> and read a book. Um, but for me to talk it, I get it mixed up with Italian. <laughs> um, I never studied Italian, but I had an Italian boyfriend when I lived in France and I just kind of picked it up that way. Um, I took two semesters of Japanese, um, did did some Duolingo stuff during COVID time just for the heck of it. Thought I'd learn some Gaelic. Um, so you uh, you keep busy, don't you? You keep you. you I like uh, languages. You love language. That's awesome. And then um, the um, um, let's talk a little about cult, uh, creativity. What what makes a creative teacher? What do you think is it? Do you think teachers are born with creativity or do they learn it? I, I think you can learn it. Uh, but I think part of it, I, I think one of the key requirements is to be comfortable taking risks. Mm -hmm. You have to be able, you know, I'll say to the kids, well, we're going to try this and I may fall flat on my face, but <laughs> hey, you know, we're going to give it a try and and then maybe the kids will tell you how you could tweak it so it could be better next time or something like that. And to just get them to buy into that too. But you do have to take risks to be creative. I, that, that's another 
Great point. I'm going to stop a second again. Uh, Risk-taking. Probably the huge key to having fun in class, right? And to having success, you have to risk-take. And uh, uh, some teachers don't risk-take. I mean, they won't. They, they, they're very guarded and they say, I'm doing this because I know it works. And they keep doing it and doing it and they get into, you know, what we say, the rut, you know, teaching, you get into the rut. But they do things over and over and they never risk take, right? And they never go out into unknown waters and try new things. And uh, it, it's really important. It's a huge thing in teaching, right? No matter, you could be teaching math, science, whatever. But risk taking when you teach may be one of the top things. And as you said, uh, it, it ties directly into being creative, right? And, you know, yes. looking for different things in different ways. There's a beautiful point you just made on that. That was wonderful. Um, so another, another thing with being creative is just sort of, I don't know, kind of living and breathing the language. I think, um, like, one of my favorite things to do with students just as a spur of the moment or a time filler is called why. And it comes from when I had little kids. Did you ever look at little kids and you say, yes, yes. And yes. they ask you, why, 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 yes, why? So yes. we just put somebody on the spot and they say, I like pizza. And the class goes, why? And they have to say, because it's delicious. And they say, why? <laughs> and, you know, you see how many whys they can get through. And we have a competition to see who can go the farthest yeah, in the language. That's great. My, uh, my uh, mother used to tell me when I was a kid, I always asked questions all the time. And I'd say, why this? Why that? Why this? And she, she said that you, it, I, my name went with me being doubtful. I always doubted things because I questioned all the time. And I was yeah. named after St. Thomas, right? Yeah. And uh, so, you know, it's the doubting Thomas. So I kept asking questions. And I always encouraged our kids to do that. And my son ended up, he always, you know, say why and ask questions all the time. And he did very well. And I, I think you probably knew this. I don't know if you know, but he teaches at uh, uh, Franklin College, my son, Dan. And he's a professor of Spanish there. He has his Ph.D. in uh, foreign language education from Purdue. And his wife teaches Spanish there. She's a professor, has her Ph.D. in Spanish literature from IU. And they met in the same school where I met Jill, my wife, and we were studying for our master's degree in Spanish literature, medieval Spanish literature class. And uh, we met there and they met, he, Dan and Sarah met in Ballantyne Hall, the same building in the Spanish department, weird. Oh, yeah, and they're celebrating their 25th anniversary coming up uh, soon. But uh, uh, weird things happen, right? Crazy, yeah, crazy things. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, what about the, um, a language teacher? What makes a really good, great language, foreign language teacher, world language teacher? What makes them really great? Um, wow. Um, I think they, they need to look outside themselves and watch the kids. I don't know. Um, you know, the, the most important thing in teaching, though, is kind of weird, and it's something they don't teach you, and it's classroom management skills. And if you can't get the kids under control, you can't teach them. And Excellent it, point. Now, what do you do 
to the kids who want to misbehave. You had, in the old days, back back in the day, I remember we had detentions. Yeah. We, you could give detentions. You could give um, um, extra assignment. You know, you could uh, call their, I, I always remember I'd call parents kind of as a last resort, but you know, I, they were about second on the list, so third. And usually that took care of the situation, right? If you call the parents, the kids would, you know, respond accordingly. But it seemed, and I'm sure you'd say, there's always one student in the class, right? Who, who for whatever reason, it happens in every class, history class, math, math, math class, English class. There's always one student, right? At least, make, usually two, no more than two, but one who, you, you know, is can't be in the class on time or he has to talk during class and when you're talking. So how, how do you handle those kids? Oh, there's, I've tried a variety of things. Like you're talking about kids being late. Uh, if they come late to class, they have to dance in. Oh, that's great. <laughs> Love it. That's good. Dancing, come in late if you they want. Have to, they have to dance. Dance their way in. I love it. That's a great one. Beautiful. Dance your way. Dance in the class. Generally don't want to do that. <laughs> That's good. Dance the class if you're late. All right. Yeah, uh, and another thing that I do, and it's brain research, okay? But the, the most important part of your class is the first 10 minutes. Yes. Because that's when you have the best attention. And so if you use that time asking them how their weekend was or catching some kid up on work and taking attendance, you've wasted the 10 minutes. Mm. So I start off right away with whatever my most important thing of the day is. And mm -hmm. so the kids don't want to be late because they, they miss care. out. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Good. Very nice. Um, you know, so things like Classroom that, management. I like what you're talking about. That's it's very important, and it's, uh, I always found that teachers who really had good classroom management planned their classes well. You know, they planned, they planned with, de with details. And uh, I always remember that uh, we, we didn't get time to plan in, in, during the school day, right? I don't know how your school day is, but I used to have, I had six classes a day, and it was very, we had one planning prep, and by the time you, you get ready to do something, you, you maybe review what you're doing the rest of the day and your, your plans for the next day, or mostly you grade homework, right? Or you're grading assignments. Uh, so you didn't have much time, but classroom planning was key to everything. If you had, and again, if you had variety, and I remember we used to shoot for six or seven different activities every class that you know that we would do six or seven things do you do that still or not not, uh, not. it depends what we're doing but yeah i try i try and have you know a bunch of short activities like that mm -hmm. and the other thing that i do um you know what a sponge activity is Madeline? yes yes okay. so my grandma used to say that idle hands were the devil's playground and it's certainly true in the classroom if you have everybody in the class and uh, the three-fourths of the class that are done have absolutely nothing to do while they're waiting for the slackers to catch up with them, then you're going to have disruptions. Yes. Or you're going to have and, trouble getting them back. Yeah, and, and going back to having something in their hands to keep the kids busy, yeah. uh, I remember the day, this, 
the remember the conversation cards used to be so popular. You oh, know, yes. you had these cards, and they still are good. You know, I I did a thing back. Gosh, I don't know. It's been probably twenty years, and the thing is still out on the market after twenty years, and yeah. people still use it. And it, they were problem and solution cards, and I used them in my college class quite a bit. And they're wonderful, and they're situational type cards, and they're all in the. You have to do it all in the in the language, but uh, it's their hands are busy, right? And they, yes. then they pay attention, and they they have they have to read, they have to look at it, and then they trade them off, you know. And so you get into all kinds of neat, you know, you know, interactive things you're doing in the classroom, and so I think we need more of that sometimes, don't you? Today, I mean, I think we need to pay attention to some of these little. Things sometimes that get forgotten, you know, and uh, with that part of it. Um, so, what about uh, technology? Where are we at with that? Uh, as far well, as I would say, you know, and this is something that I was asked when I won one of those awards. When somebody called me up and they said, "Oh, has t you know, you've been teaching thirty years, I think, at the time," and they said, "How has teaching changed?" And I said, "Or how have students changed?" And I said, "They haven't." It's the technology that's changed. Mm -hmm. Yes. I mean, kids are still kids and they're still going to try and avoid work and all that kind of right. stuff like kids do. But the technology is so wonderful. I used to have so much trouble finding current things and videos to show people. And, and I think the internet for me is just a wonderful resource. Well, it's like a virtual library, right? I mean, it's a. It's a wonderful thing, and uh, it's, it's incredible how it revolutionized everything. Um, so, uh, the the I've been observing these, uh, reading a lot of articles and things about um, the teaching in COVID during COVID, where we have where we have people who uh, are. Um, it's forcing them to yeah. try new things. Yes, they have to try a lot of new things. But the yeah. big thing, though, is. I'm following the, trying to follow the kids' response, the students. And it appears from what I've read, and I think this is probably fairly accurate, that the, kid, the kids like the technology, but they don't like uh, not being human, you know, being having human contact, the interaction you have in your classroom. So like when you do your holidays in the classroom and you sing with the kids or you're you do these little skits and all these neat little things that don't, if they're not live with human beings, right, where you're there, it's just, it doesn't have the same impact, does it? You know, it doesn't, I mean, you can't have the same amount of fun. And uh, it's, uh, and the other problem I read is that during COVID, the kids are tiring of being at a screen all day. You know, they get tired. Sure. And I've heard them, they've said this. Yeah, it's hard on their eyes, and it is hard on their eyes. It's hard on the teacher's eyes. It's hard on their necks. It's hard on their back, you know, watching the screen all day. So I think we're finding that, you know, where we're going to end up in education is we're going to still have live stuff, you know. And I think we're going to have our technology, we're going to have our apps, and we're going to do our stuff. But I do think you're going to see a little revolution here of, of, of change where we may tilt back a little bit to live stuff, you know? And yeah. uh, and I mean, I'm not undercutting the role of technology is enormous, but I do think that human touch by the teachers and the kids is the most important thing, you know, and uh, the social interaction and the, 
you know, and even speaking the language when you're speaking live, your teacher's in there with you and, and the kids are talking the language to each other. And, you know, it's just a special thing, you know, that you can't really capture in the Zoom room, right? And uh, I always say, I always say you're not going to get fluent by typing. No, exactly. <laughs> Good point. You're not going to get fluent by typing. I love it. That's beautiful. That that's equal to that idea of dancing to the room if you're late. <laughs> if you're late, that's great. You're not going to get fluent by typing. That's beautiful. Very nice. Um, so, um, um, what people, about people aren't going to sit? You know, people think, well, oh, yeah, I got a translator on my phone, right? Yes. In a conversation, they're not going to sit there and wait while you type into your phone so they. Yes, exactly. exactly. Not, not gonna work. No, or I'll I'll look this word up, right? Or you know, I'll I'll look it up on you know on my iPhone or Siri, find the word, and you just can't do that, right? You have to be spontaneous, you know, which is what they can't do. Um, so, what about teachers starting out today? What advice would you give them? Well, we were talking about um, being tired. You know, and so the first thing I tell people is baby steps, you know, just try, try a little of something, wait, do it till you get comfortable with it, then add something else. You don't have to do it all every day at the beginning for every class, you know, yes. um, baby steps. Um, another thing is grow a thick skin. You're not, not everybody's going to like you in your classroom you know they, they want all the kids to adore them and if one kid makes a face when they say something uh some people just take it horribly to heart you know or if some kid makes an unkind comment it's yes. just you grow a thick skin because kids kids um can be cruel yes exactly <laughs> exactly or, you know that anything's kind of possible yes <laughs> uh so and, the other thing I would say, and um, I'm not going to say her name, but I know you know her. Um, I had someone teaching with me, and she was a new teacher, and um, she was ready to quit. She was ready to quit, and she took some some sick days off just to, to have, she was sick of school or whatever. And while she was gone, I had her kids write her notes about how they felt about her and how they felt about the class. And I put them into a scrapbook and I gave them to her. And they said things on paper that they wouldn't say to her face that were wonderful. And she kept that. And every time she got depressed or down or something, I, I, I tell new teachers to keep notes that you get from parents, notes you get from kids. Absolutely, yes. Write down, keep a log of successes, lessons yes. went well, and keep it in a folder because there's going to be times when you need to pull that folder out and look at it. Yes, yes, totally true. Um, so um, um, I wanted to circle back a minute and uh, sounds like we're doing the readers. We're circling, right? We're going to circle back. So, so back to the comprehensive input and I wanted to make a comment and see if you agree with this. Uh, the thing I've noticed that happens and I've been in some, some rooms observing the, the TPR stuff, but I noticed the comprehensible input and not just that, but in other activities with the, the CI, but the you know, comprehensive input that people do. 
But I've noticed there's a lack, and I've noticed this is a, a thing that, I, that needs to be worked on, where the kids don't get a, they don't, they don't really uh, enter in enough into producing their input, right? The comprehensive input that the teachers, you know, sometimes they dominate too much, and we need to have the kids more, you know, giving their, you know, doing doing their little language things, right? in their activities and things. Have you noticed that happens? With well, the... you know, um, the idea with comprehensible input is that they learn the way that you learned the language from a ba from babyhood. Right. And babies don't talk for a couple of years there. Yes. They listen and listen and listen. Right, and right, right. And absorb and absorb. Right, right. And there comes a time when they're comfortable enough to start communicating. Right. But that's a, that's a risky game to play in the classroom, you know, to, to extend and extend where they listen. And uh, I know I've seen some classes where they listen and uh, the kids listen and they're all paying attention. But I've seen several where half the class is listening, right? And half the class isn't. And so that was my point, you know, about the thing. We in, in the same, it was the same principle in the immersion program. You know, it was like, this is how we learn the language, right? We just listen and, you know, and, and we did it the same, we were doing the same things, you know, everything's in the language, the kids have to listen. But somewhere along the road, when the communicative approach came out, we realized that the kids weren't saying enough, right? And, and early enough, weren't getting connected into the language early enough. And therefore, I think we lost enrollments, you know, somewhat, you know, in the language classroom because of that. You know, we probably went overboard a little bit. And I think that's happened some with with our readers, you know, where we get, you know, um, you know, a little tilted with it sometimes. But I do think I, I think there has to be a point where the kids early on, you know, get involved more with that. And but I think the readers, though, the, the good thing is. I think there's a lot more activities now being put out with the readers, you know, where the kids can can do things, you know, which is good. You know, that yeah. part of it's good. Um, so uh, the bells and whistles, you need a reader with bells and whistles. Yes, exactly. The bells and whistles or have your idea book, right? Your idea book. Right. Have that idea book there. Man. There, there, there was a book done. I bet you remember this book and it was called the. Uh, 500 adventures in foreign language in foreign in the foreign language classroom. Do you remember that book? Yes, yes. And I still have the book. I mean, it was incredible. Yes. It was ideas, 500 ideas. It was beautiful. And yes. so uh, you could use it today, probably, you know, except for the technology, you'd have to throw, you know, put some of it in the technology game world a little bit. But even those you could spin off on. But it was a great book. You know, it was just wonderful. For ideas and uh, when I first got it I thought I'll probably never use this and I used it it was like my Bible right and I'd open that book every day you know thinking of ideas but once you probably would say the same thing once teachers get to doing creative things they spin off and do their own stuff right I mean yes. their own things and that's when you know they've arrived and they can do their own things and with creativity and I think that's the good part of you know, looking, you know, being being open to that. Well, listen, thank you so much, Deb. It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. Good heavens. It's a, you're a veritable uh, 
really fast. You're just a fountain of information and beyond, right? It's astounding. And uh, I thank you so much for being on the show. And um, uh, if you'll stay tuned for a minute, we'll chat for a couple more minutes. But I'm gonna I'm gonna end the show and I'll get back to you. So don't don't click off yet, okay? Hey, nice talking right. to everybody. Nice talking to you, and thank you so much. And for the listeners, guess what? We're going to talk about dual languages coming up next uh, month and into April. And I got three wonderful people, uh, and uh, one of them is a Grammy Award winner uh, who's going to be here talking on the show. So be sure to tune in about dual languages and what's going on in that world of dual languages. And uh, we'll see you soon. And again, Deb, thank you so much. And enjoy the rest of the day, okay? Thank you so much. Okay. And for the listeners, Deb's going to say au revoir, right? Au revoir. And I'll say au revoir. And and, and I, I can do comment allez-vous, au revoir, je voudrais, and that's about it. And uh, uh, that's all you need. That's all I did. And I, I did survive Paris on about that small thing once. Okay. Thank you so much, gal, and have a great day. Au revoir. Bye.